0: This is Joy and this is Claire and this is Joy and Claire,
1: a weekly podcast talk show about the things that bring us together, make us happy, make us whole,
0: make us human. guys this is joy
1: and this is claire and we hope you liked our new intro because i thought it was cute i don't know about you we worked hard on that intro thank you to doug our podcast pal for helping us make that intro
0: thank you so much doug
1: so sorry that the song is gone you will just have to find it in the built bar ads on instagram (laughs) yeah
0: exactly built bar and every other product that's on instagram everyone sends us their ads so if you miss the song just go listen there but thank you guys for the support of the song we just really wanted to break away we wanted to break away from all those brands because we're our own <speaks> special da, snowflake yeah did you like that speaking of singing i sent you a video today of us singing yes. i hope this i promise you and i was, I was like oh so sometimes you know when you just need to see a memory and i'm like yes oh, i just need to be there right now so we were getting our l2 with crossfit and it was the weekend, it's like an all day thing. It's a two day class seminar. And so we're I think we were on our lunch break and we were just singing in the car, singing the in sync song, This I so Promise You good. and it was just blasting and we were all just really getting emotional about it. And I was like, I just really needed to see that memory today.
1: I agree. It was really <sighs> like, like when we used to just like ride in cars together. <gasps>
0: and go get croissants. <gasps> go get yeah.
1: croissants and then spend the whole day in a gym with other people indoors.
0: Not worry about little wiping things. everything down. Yeah, little I know. And guess what, guys? We're not going to stop reminiscing about the time when we didn't have to do all this stuff. So it's let's true. just get used to that.
1: It's so true. Um,
0: we're always going to miss those days. So how are you doing with the state of the world? Let's just, let's just talk about the state of the... Let's check in state of the world so, real quick because there's a lot going on. There's a lot... <laughs>
1: There really is. We're recording this on Tuesday. You'll hear this on Thursday. So we're not that far out. But who knows? Who knows what could happen between now and then? The biggest news on the street, obviously, is Trump getting out of the hospital for COVID and him really downplaying the experience and saying, like, it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, don't let it control your life. And everybody. Don't be afraid, guys.
0: Don't don't be be afraid. afraid.
1: And everybody who, you know, the over 200,000 Americans who have lost family members to COVID are like, what? How do I not let this control my life?
0: Yeah, excuse me.
1: <laughs> That's been really difficult. And as somebody whose husband was an RN on the COVID floor for many months at the beginning of all this, it's, you know, it's beyond dismissive. Like the experience that he had, to me, the biggest thing that it shows is like this proves that they know that COVID is a big deal because of the level of precautions that were immediately taken for his health. You know, precautionary hospital stays, experimental drugs that are not available, literally not available, no matter how hard you try or how many people you ask or how many hospitals you go to for the majority of people. And certainly, you know, were not available um, at the height of the pandemic in the spring when you could barely even go. You couldn't even get a test unless you were practically about to be put on a ventilator and just the huge discrepancy between that experience and then the way that it has been talked about within the administration. And, you know, I posted something about this on Instagram over the weekend. And um, one person in particular was like, you know, if you really think the pandemic and this is somebody who I respect and have and, and have met in person and have had great conversations with in person. So when she said that, I really when she said this, I did take it to heart. I was like, you know, if you really think the pandemic will be over if the Steps have been taken, then you know you live in a different world than everyone else because people are out here going to raves. And my response was I would argue that they are going to raves because they have been invited by this administration to believe that COVID is a hoax mm-hmm. and not and a big deal, that you shouldn't be afraid and that you shouldn't, you know, it's not a big deal. And you can just fly in your private helicopter to your private hospital wing where you can just continue to work with, you know, without having to worry about losing your wages or losing your benefits or any of that. And, you know, what's the big deal? So that's the biggest thing that I've been thinking about so much is just like this proves they know it's a big deal because of the way that they handled it, mm-hmm. because of the precautions that were taken. If they really didn't think it was a big deal, then why would they do a precautionary hospital stay? Right? Why would they go go through all of that? And then just everything else that's happened since then with Trump not wearing a mask around other people and putting people, you know, very high risk. And I can't wrap my brain around it because it just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Like it's a literally a series of events that has no logic to it. right? And so I kind it, of stopped trying to like make reason out of it because there isn't. Right.
0: When it comes down to it, whether you agree with his politics or not, I don't think he uses a lot of logic. I think he uses a lot of language that's very extreme. And I'm going to say even sometimes overly positive, but just more in that I have to sound strong sense. What would you say to this? Because I want to kind of be a devil's advocate here, <laughs> literally, <laughs> is... Like, what would you say if someone was like, well, he's just really trying not to create fear in the world. He's just trying to not let people, he's just trying to, you know, he doesn't want people to be scared. He doesn't want people to just, you know, he doesn't want the economy to stop again. What do you say to that?
1: I say that that is a little bit delusional, not of that person to say that or not of the people who say that, but of Trump and or the people around him to think that. I guess what I would say is look how that's worked out so far. Look at the countries who did take this seriously, who immediately, you know, put strict lockdowns into place and, are, you know, look at, I mean, New Zealand is the poster child, but look at Many, many other countries who have contact tracing apps that everybody has who have rapid tests available at no cost, any to anyone who needs them or wants them, which is not something that we have ubiquitously throughout the United States whatsoever. Look at, you know, countries that have paid sick leave. Let's just take it even that the big step further. that
0: yeah, that's huge. Mm-hmm.
1: Who don't have to rely on their employment to have health insurance, you know, and there are millions of people in the u s. who have been laid off and lost their health insurance all of that is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And to say like, he's just trying to not create panic, completely invalidates the experiences of all of those people who have had to go through COVID symptoms without being able to find out whether or not they actually had COVID because they weren't sick enough to go to the hospital, Mm -hmm. or who have had loved ones who have ended up on a ventilator or ended up passing away because they weren't able to get this you know what they needed when they needed it to me saying like well he's just trying to not incite a panic is like well we've already tried not inciting a panic and it basically it was you were just ign- ignored the fire while it blazed behind you like ignoring what's it feels like willful ignorance not yeah. crowd control <laughs>
0: So here's just something that we're not, we're not here to say anything that we want people to agree with. We're just talking about our own opinions, and I don't need to say that over and over again, but everyone can disagree with us, but what I'm about to say is just what I've observed, and I think it's pretty obvious, but it just this is where I have to go to kind of make sense of something that is senseless, is that, okay, here we are, and the reason that we continue to talk about this for now especially now, is huge election coming up for us. Mm -hmm. And I read the book by his niece. I read a lot of articles about him. It's no surprise he's been in the media his entire life. And all I can think of is like, does someone who's really well think this way? And what it comes down to me is I just have to armchair psychoanalyze him because (laughs) that's all I can think of. And so I think no, he. we're trying to put logic on someone who is just not logical. Mm-hmm. In my very shallow, like, I've never met the guy, obviously, opinion, but just like from a very, very, very far distance from what I see mm-hmm. on media is, and it's a lot on media, you know, you never know until you meet someone in person. I doubt he's any any different, probably worse, actually. <laughs> but what I think of is like, he never and sorry that I have to do this, Claire, but I'm thinking of, like, he never had people who loved him as a child. Like, he wasn't bonded to anyone as a child. Like, no wonder like Voldemort. he can yeah. Yes. And so I'm like and so that's where I go is like, "Oh, yeah. this man never had really loving connections. Like this is this this is the product of a man who grew up with a lot of trauma. He would never label it that way, but that's where I have to go to be like, mm-hmm. how can someone be this oh. And so I'm like, that's kind of not to explain anything away that he's done. But I think if we continue, and this is just for myself, if I continue to try to get upset over someone who you just can't put logic on, we think logically. And I think most of the world thinks logically. We can't put that template onto him because he just doesn't think that way. And that's why we are where we are. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, Obviously with the tax return out, you can, you can see that for yourself, Um, but the thing that makes me sad and probably going to get a lot of haters for this too, is the people who do support him and follow him are, have fell for it. He's, Mm -hmm. he's got them all fooled. (laughs) And I can say that pretty confidently from just reading people, whether it be the president from all the stuff that I've watched and seen and observed. Um, I'm, I'm totally fine being wrong if I met the guy and he was just like, you know what, this is just something I had to do for
1: Right, I knew what I was, what was what doing crazy. the whole time.
0: Knew right. what I was doing the whole time, right. Which would probably
1: but, be worse, actually. <laughs> exactly. I, yeah, exactly. I, I'm like,
0: that's terrifying. But I think what I want to say, too, is I'm like, I just feel like he has everybody, fool- people that follow him, he has you fooled. He's got you fooled. You're like, call your dad, you're in a cult. That's kind of where I'm at.
1: <laughs> so we obviously this week are taking some time to talk more about politics. And we warned you. And we warned you. But you know what? Oh, well. You know, we're hearing from so many of you that whether or not you agree with everything we say or not is not the point, and that you guys are appreciating, you know, having these conversations. Um, we're trying to do it in a respectful way. We're, we try, you know, there are certain things that there's no way to make everyone happy when there are two sides to the same to the opinion, like we can't have both sides of the opinion. So I think yeah, kicking us off with some talk about Trump, but we this week also wanted to talk about some Colorado specific initiatives. So we'll get to that in a minute. And then we also wanted to talk about electing your district attorney, which no matter where you are, your district in the United attorney... United States,
0: every single state elects their district. Actually, I don't know if every single state. I have some notes on this. I'll tell, I'll, okay. I'll read some notes. So
1: you're in the vast majority of places, if not everywhere, the district attorney is an elected position. And I think it's fair to say that they sometimes run unopposed, which is kind of not really the same thing as being elected, but they are up for election every four years. Mm-hmm. And so whether they are running unopposed or not, you are about to have the opportunity to vote for your district attorney if you live in the U.S. So we wanted to take some time to talk about that, because I know for me, that was something that I didn't really think a lot about up until this past year. And I would kind of just always be like, oh, well, who's the guy there now? Like, OK, whatever. Or I just wouldn't vote for them at all. Right. So we wanted to talk about that. And then the three issues on the ballot for the Colorado that we wanted to talk about are um, Proposition 1.0. 1- 14, which involves gray wolves, which is just I, we're talking about that one. It's not like super controversial. I just thought it's one that I has, has my attention. Sure. Proposition 115, which would prohibit abortions after 22 weeks of pregnancy. And then um, Proposition 118, which would create a new state program and fees to provide paid family and medical leave to workers. So I, I didn't want to like pivot turned super hard from the Trump conversation, but I feel like that just like warmed us up to talk about. Just warmed us up a little
0: bit. And, And the other thing I want to kind of plug in is, especially now, like this will release on October 8th, Google your local voting Websites, read about the initiatives, read about what's on your ballot. Mm -hmm. Vote Save America has a lot of great resources to just educate you about voting, what you're voting for. So you can all do this on a local level. And I highly suggest you just Google it in your area. And even they will specify it to your zip code. So every single district is going to look different. So I just wanted to put just a little shout out, even though we're going to be talking a lot about Colorado specific, this is also mm-hmm. just kind of a lesson to all of us to really think about what's on our own personal ballots.
1: And even if you yeah, don't, even if these uh, propositions or these ballot issues don't apply to you, hopefully this will be interesting to hear how we're thinking about yeah. attacking you know, some more controversial voting situations and how, you know, that might parallel or be different sure. from the way that you think about this type of stuff. Let's all be critical thinkers. Let's. So, all right, let's start out with the district attorney because that does apply to everyone. So for those of you who don't know, Joy worked for the district attorney's office for what, eight years, nine years?
0: 11 years. It 11 a years. Long time.
1: <laughs> so, we're not going into the, even though you worked and you'll explain all this, but I'm just, I'm cute. I'm teeing you up. You definitely have a unique perspective as being someone who's very familiar with the way that that system works.
0: Yes. Okay. Are we ready? So I have a couple notes from a website that I can post in the show notes. But I also reached out to my dear friend, Gary, who I worked with at the DA's office, who still works for the DA's office. Gary, I know you're listening. Love you so much. Hi, Gary. And I was going to just call him like phone a friend, but he's so busy. And he's, he's so funny. He like texted. I was like, Gary, do you want to be on the show, just like call a friend, phone a friend. And we had rescheduled and he responded and he was like, oh, good. I was so busy. I'm glad you canceled. But I'm, I was so busy because I have two two-day homicide hearing to prep for. I'm like, when? You're
1: like, things that most people don't text about. <laughs> things that you
0: usually don't hear in a text message. But yes. So he, I texted him and I said, give me the top five things that you feel are really important. Um, or the top things that you feel are really important when voting for a district attorney, because um, you come from the DA, the the deputy DA perspective. I just come from working in a diversion program, which I certainly can talk a little bit about, but I'm just going to, I'm going to gloss over the key points that y'all need to look up in your area specifically. So this is from Gary. Number one, what is the person's experience level trying to, trying important cases? While it is an elected position, except in huge offices, a DA can be expected to know the complexities of trying cases. So he or she should have examples of when they have actually tried cases. If they have no experience, that's a red flag. Um, He says, you would not have a foot doctor be the head of cardiology. (laughs) Number two, the DA is top law enforcement officer at the local level, and they're in charge of officer shooting decisions but are also bound by several ethic codes on how to proceed. Number three, a DA's philosophy can have a huge impact on how cases are handled too hard or too soft or just right. Who is charged including diversion options or specialty courts, which I'll get to in a second stances on pre-trial bond and office transparency. Number four, some States DA's are term limited and other States they run until they lose or retire guys. That is huge. Look up to see if your DA is term limited. People should know what their state is. Number five, last but not least, be wary of anyone who promises how he or she would handle a particular case or category of cases. Every criminal case is highly fact specific and commenting on what they'll do without having all the facts a DA would have is a big fat red flag. So if they're campaigning and they're like, this is exactly how I would handle a particular case, if there's like a a big red hot case in your area, He said that's a big red flag. Now, back to the point about um, how cases are handled. If they they offer options such as diversion programs or specialty courts, that is the program that I worked in. So for example, really quick, juvenile justice. If you have a DA who just puts all kids in jail (laughs) for first-time offenses, that's a problem. So when I was working for the 18th Judicial District, whenever a kid had a first-time offense, any minor had a first offense, they would send them to a diversion program. Now, these were minor offenses. These were not big-time felonies, but it was something where they saw that kids that were getting in trouble and maybe got a misdemeanor, minor in possession, a lot of fights at school. (laughs) So after Columbine, the no tolerance policy really, really amped up a lot of criminal charges against kids that were getting in trouble at school. So they had this great diversion program. And so we did counseling and kind of did restorative justice. And so that was something that showed kids, hey, you can get in trouble, but you can turn your life around. Like, let's not go down the criminal path and it was really a blessing to a lot of kids, to a lot of kids. I saw some that just continued down the criminal path and that's always going to happen. But a lot of kids and families would come to me and they'd be like I'm so glad we had this option. They really learned their lesson. And so those are huge and this and specialty courts would mean drug and alcohol courts. I know I've mentioned that before, but if they have if someone who has an addiction and they keep offending and getting in in jail and they get out, they don't have any resources or help. Addiction is a disease. They have drug court. And that is a huge benefit to people who are struggling, who can get rehabilitated and get on their feet and get out of the justice system. So people who don't understand that cycle with the justice system, if they just keep getting in and getting out and they have no resources, that's a huge problem. So, re- so look up those issues um, with your DA. And then last, I'm just going to kind of reiterate a few other Points of reasons that you should care about your local prosecutor race. Do you know who your prosecutor is and what they do? Prosecutors determine how and whether to charge someone with a crime. They have a lot of power when it comes to setting bail. Prosecutors control the plea bargaining process. They can put the brakes on mass incarceration. Most prosecutors run for election. Huge, guys. Huge. My DA that I worked for ran for election, probably still wants to run for election, and uh, I don't agree with him, but whatever. So just... Think of that too. Is most DAs really want to keep going and moving on to bigger roles in politics?
1: So that's my very very short cliff notes, guys. Cliff's notes because we don't have all day. But nope. Something I just found out that was interesting is actually Colorado is the only state that t- term limits DAs.
0: Oh wow! Really?
1: Yeah. Colorado's the only state. So that actually makes other DA elections in every other state even more important. More important? You're kidding? That Colorado's the only one. The only one. Holy so, moly! If you are in a state that has a, or a town or a city that your DA is crappy, then the only way that they are ever going to get out of there is if yeah. they lose in an election. Otherwise, they'll just be there forever.
0: Yeah. And this is why I was a huge fan of Kamala Harris way back in the day before she was even famous, <laughs> was I followed her when she was the DA in San Francisco because I loved her approach on juvenile justice. Anyway, so just Google... Criminal justice reform in your area, maybe read up on that. But that's that's amazing that Colorado is the only one with term limits. Yeah, I, I was very... That's shocking.
1: I agree. So, Whew, I all think right. that's
0: why we have a big problem. Okay, so, moving on.
1: Okay, Proposition 114 in Colorado is... Basically, it, if, if approved or if voted yes, a yes vote is to direct the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Agency to reintroduce gray wolves into western Colorado starting in 2023. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this because this is so esoteric, but the major pro argument here is that gray wolves used to live in Colorado. We eradicated them. Gray wolves used to live all over the Rocky Mountain region. We largely eradicated them um, when this area was settled by white people during the gold rush they were eradicated to because they posed a huge risk to humans, but mostly to livestock. And so as ranchers came out here, they would just shoot all the wolves they saw because the wolves were eating all their cattle and their horses. So over the last several decades, there have has been a huge push to reinstate gray wolves within the Rocky Mountain region within the United States. And there is this famous story right now that you guys have, most of you have probably are familiar with. I think it was like the subject of a TED talk where they reintroduced gray wolves into Yosemite and like the rivers came back. And they were like, you know, the gray wolves moved the, or helped mitigate the elk population and moved the elk out of their favorite grazing area and required, you know, forced the elk to diversify their grazing locations, which allowed like aspens and uh, willows to come back into these valleys, which allowed the river bed to like become more wavering and which brought in more... More insects which brought in more birds and you know it just became this garden it's all related it's all related so that ted talk story which i think it was a ted talk it's kind of been debunked since that came out to say like you can't really point to wolves and say like this was the one thing there mm-hmm. are a lot of other things that happened like there was a really great precipitation year that year. And you know, there's actually no real evidence to show that the elk moved on in a meaningful way to different grazing areas long term, and et cetera, et cetera. So that to kind of say that like the narrative of reintroducing gray wolves as a super silver bullet to to restoring biodiversity to areas isn't really black and white like that. So quickly, I'll just say the pros for, the, for this are that gray wolves have were traditionally here, and they are traditionally a part of our ecosystem. And we humans white humans got rid of them the cons are that economically it bringing gray wolves back into the u.s in or not the u.s back into colorado in this like concentrated way may have a a downstream negative effect on the farmers and ranchers who got rid of them in the first place Mm. um, of which the western slope of colorado is largely that's largely their economy i'm still undecided about this issue Part of me is like, well, if gray wolves were here before, why should we not bring them back? And the other part of me is like, well, there's actually gray wolves are naturally reintroducing themselves to Colorado. So that's the other big argument that people are making is like we actually have just recently confirmed that for the first time in 70 years, there is a native gray wolf wolf pack in Colorado. So if they're already reintroducing themselves, like maybe we should just let that happen. And that will be more likely to naturally weave itself into the fabric of the ecosystem that we humans have now created rather than just being like, okay, gray wolves go out there. So Mm -hmm. I'm undecided. I don't really know what to tell you guys, but I hope that that helps you understand a little bit more of the background of it and the different, um, viewpoints. The, and then the, the only other thing I'll say is that this is a really interesting thing to even have on the ballot. I was going to say, it's
0: really not something I think I've ever seen before. very
1: unusual for something like this to be put to public vote, almost always this sort of thing is just managed by the you know state wildlife because that's part of their directive. Like as the state wildlife agency, part of your part of like the I mean mission statement. There's a word for this, and I'm just not the yeah, directive of that agency is to manage the wildlife. And so this falls under that and so like we the people have decided that those guys are going to take care of managing the wildlife and then like we don't really they don't really talk to us about it more than that. So the other thing that's really interesting and that is implied by this, that is something that I always think about too is like for every decision that for every ballot decision that goes through for every issue that even makes it to the ballot, that is setting a precedent for future issues like this hmm. And so that's so
0: important. We never really stop to think about that because mm-hmm. I always think about like, okay, even though stuff, is, stuff may not be changing now stuff really, you know, right. professional world stuff may not be changing now. It could help move the needle for future generations that I may never see in my lifetime.
1: Yeah, well, and so for this one in particular...
0: I mean, for the wolves, sure, but I think as a global level too. <laughs>
1: yeah, but I think that like for this one in particular, it is very interesting to think like what else in the future would be better decided by popular vote rather than leaving it up to a agency that is ultimately controlled you know, by a, a larger government that you may or may not agree with. And on the flip side, maybe leaving something up to a popular vote that really should be decided by an agency that is run by wildlife experts, is the better way to go. Sure. Yeah. So that's kind of more what I'm thinking about here is like, what are like the downstream implications of this issue even being on the ballot, let alone if it's voted through?
0: I know we're not going to talk in depth about this one, but did you see Proposition 113 is whether to join the National Popular Vote Compact instead of current electoral college uh, system?
1: Okay, I did. Okay. I feel like maybe we should talk about that one. Okay. Proposition
0: 113. I didn't
1: research it as much, though. <laughs> I didn't either. So, But I'm just kind of like, huh. What's at stake? You know, there are certain issues where I read them and I'm like, I feel like I'm getting trapped. Anytime I see something, though,
0: I'm like, what's the catch? You know, I know. what I mean? We're, we're taught to so distrust with the government.
1: <laughs> yeah. So basically, um, in 2019, Colorado, our governor and then the Democratic lawmakers in Colorado approved a compact to um, join the National Popular Vote Compact, which says Colorado would award its nine electoral votes to the presidential candidate who wins the most votes nationwide rather than the candidate with the most votes in Colorado, which is the existing system under the Electoral College. However, this popular vote compact won't take effect until states with a collective of 270 electoral votes, the total needed to win a presidential election, join the compact. So I know like California, Washington, several other states that are typically more democratic, traditionally blue states, have already entered into this national popular vote compact, which I don't need to tell, Never mind. I was gonna go into Mm -hmm. like how states can make agreements with one another the way that like countries make treaties with one another sure but it's called sure. a compact uh-huh. so that's what this is is it's it's sort of like a state to state treaty saying like okay I, if you do this then i'll do this and we're <laughs> if you do gone.
0: it let's all do it yeah let's all do it
1: um on, yeah guys. like in your hand and handshake
0: i really hope those deals still happen though
1: i mean they I, you know pinky like promise. pinky
0: swears yeah. yeah pinky promises yeah so
1: that instead of
0: the electoral college
1: the, the electoral college instead of putting the Colorado's electoral college votes towards the person who wins the Colorado popular vote. Mm -hmm. It will go towards the person who wins the United States popular vote.
0: Something to read about. Something, something to read, to read about. about for sure.
1: Okay. So the next thing we're going to talk about is proposition 115, which would prohibit abortions after 22 weeks of pregnancy. And the subtext of this is unless a woman's life is threatened. But when you read further into it, it's actually on, the only exceptions that are made are if a woman's life are is in like imminent, like if imminent, like she will die. The next thing that will happen is that she will die. So on its face, this Proposition is unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's unconstitutional is because in Roe v. Wade, that decision and the resulting Supreme Court decision said that any further abortion regulations that states would make must include exceptions for the health of the pregnant woman. And the Proposition 115 writers are saying like, well, it does. It's like, okay, but it's really like the only real scenario that this proposition allows for is a literal decision of life or death.
0: Right, right, right. In the right. moment. Can I read this really quick? Because I just want to read like the bare bones of it. And yeah. This is just from the Colorado Sun. It says, what's the question? Whether to ban abortions after 22 weeks of pregnancy unless a ph- physician determines the woman's life is threatened. Now, obviously, if they're, they're going to determine if a woman's life is, is threatened, but I could see them getting like caught up in some stuff here. It does not include exceptions for situations involving rape or incest. Mm-hmm.
1: So a couple It does things-
0: not include exceptions. Right, so does the not- only
1: exception is In an instance where a physician has determined that a woman's life is imminently threatened.
0: That's it. That's it. I I, I don't want to like show my cards of where I stand with this, but I had to read that again. I was like, mm -hmm. whoa. So a little bit of
1: background. Colorado is one of seven states with no prohibitions on abortion at any point during pregnancy. Okay. Another very important point of background, I think, is that 1% or less, there are a couple of different sources where you can get abortion data and the largest percentage out there, like even if you go with the people who are reporting the most, barely 1% of abortions happen after 22 weeks. In Colorado, only 17 abortions happened after 25 weeks in 2019. And it was like 130 that happened after 22 weeks. So we're talking about a tiny percentage, 1% or less of abortions overall. The people who oppose this are saying this is a quote unquote common sense late term abortion ban that you know you shouldn't be allowed to have an abortion after a fetus is viable. Abortion ideology, we've talked about this, is so complex. But I think the biggest thing that this issue comes down to for me is that 22 weeks doesn't mean the same thing to every pregnancy and if what you're really saying is that like no at 22 weeks your baby's going to live, that's just not true. Right. And the other thing that this doesn't take into account whatsoever are fetal diagnoses.
0: Right. I was going to say, what if there's like some medical necessity other than...
1: So, I mean, there are are a lot of situations. And guys, I'm not saying that a woman... Can't want an abortion at twenty five weeks for right, the right. pure reason that right, exactly. this is a choice that she wants to make that doesn't have medical necessity. Right for what her I'm body. Correct. Yes.
0: Yes. 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 Very the clear. The majority
1: yes. of quote unquote late term, aka abortions, typically that happen within that like kind of twenty to twenty five week, because again, seventeen abortions only after twenty five weeks in state of Colorado in twenty nineteen. Say that
0: again. Seventeen. seventeen. Seventeen in the state of Colorado in twenty nineteen right. happened. After after twenty five weeks.
1: weeks, so it's very very rare, rare, and the majority of those. And again, I did I spent a lot of time researching this one because I really wanted to come with hard facts. Sure, and it's difficult to have. There is not a lot of good data about exactly why those take place because they well, are it's not probably necessarily. Probably work- too. What?
0: I mean, it's probably confidentiality. I was about to say, because
1: like the medical confidentiality of it, like the the number is so statistically insignificant that it is bare. you know, it's like it's not necessarily reported out as a larger thing. But some examples of a reason that you might get it apart from your own personal choice is finding out, for example, that your baby has some sort of like genetic issue that would result in them having a very short and painful life
0: if they were born. Yes.
1: And Those are the times, like that in and of itself to me is enough reason to maintain access
0: Mm, to abortion after 22 weeks. Exactly, maintain access, yes. Because
1: a lot of times- You don't find that out until your twenty week ultrasound. Well, what if you didn't you know, you had a scheduling conflict, your twenty week ultrasound turned into your twenty one week ultrasound and you're gonna be twenty two weeks in three days and now you have three days to make that
0: Oh yeah, and by the way, you can't get in for a doctor's appointment until another month.
1: Well, so that's the thing, like I think about this with Evie. Like my, you know, anatomy scan with her Mm -hmm. didn't happen until I was you know, almost 22 weeks because I broke my foot. Do you remember that? Yes,
0: of course I remember yeah. that. And so
1: it was like, I broke my foot. So I and I broke my foot the night before I was supposed to have my anatomy scan. So I just called and rescheduled it for the following week. Like there was no big deal. It wasn't yes. like, but it was like, I, you know, I tripped down the stairs, broke my foot. I didn't want to have to yep. drive to South Denver the next day on a pair on crutches. Totally. Pregnant. If I had gotten devastating news in that appointment, I would have had maybe almost two days to decide what to do before I lost my options. That's just not a position I want anyone to have. no, to no, be no,
0: no, no, no. So, so here's the thing. People will read that at face value. Mm-hmm. This is what I worry about voters reading anything. Any voter, if you're in Colorado, if you're outside of Colorado, when you're reading a, something like this, whether it be related to this topic or another important topic, is at face value. You're not taking into consideration all of these issues. So like, mm-hmm. do the research to see... Like speaking to people who've experienced this or say, hey, you know, this is a situation where, you know, I've seen a lot of posts talking about abortion and why someone had maybe a late term abortion. And it's kind of one of those things where we have to do our due, dilige- due diligence in researching this before we vote, because it is not cool to just go and read something on the ballot and your gut instinct.
1: Right. If you are going to vote without all to the facts, take away something, something then you need to really know what you're doing. And I think that that's, yep. for me, the other thing that I think is really important is that no, because Colorado is one of only seven states that doesn't have any term limits on term limits, you know, abortion, at any you can get an abortion at any point during pregnancy. Right. What if you lived in Texas and you found out at your 20, but now you're actually 21 weeks ultrasound and now you have to get to Colorado to have this procedure? You know, like women need options. Yep. Pregnancy is not, every pregnancy is different. And for me, it is important to have those options when people need them.
0: Yes. And here's the other thing that I think, I don't know what you think about this, Claire, but when people think abortion, they think, oh, just irresponsible people only killing sluts babies. Only abortions,
1: right? Only sluts get abortions. Exactly. It's this horrible,
0: horrible stigma on women making poor choices. And if it only women so... understood
1: the consequences. Oh, like, what if God. the condom breaks? What if I mean, we could go down this road for 100 years about abortion. But the biggest thing that to me, I just want to say is that I don't care what your beliefs are, you know, someone who's had an abortion. Yep, for sure. 100%. Whether or not you know it. And if you think you don't know someone, that just means that they have not felt safe about telling you.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So get your judgy pants off and do your freaking research. Sorry. (laughs) I just got a little heated. heated.
1: Okay. So the the last one we're going to talk about, and then this episode is going to be so long because we got so many good answers to our listener question last week. last one really quickly, Proposition 118, create a new state program and fees to provide paid family leave and medical leave to workers. As we all know, the United States of America does not have a federal paid family leave program. We're the only developed nation in the world that does not do this. We're in fact, we're one of the only nations at all that does not do this. It's ridiculous that we don't do this. So let's talk Talk about how Colorado is thinking about changing that. So the measure would create a $1.3 billion- a new 1.3 billion state-run paid family and medical leave program that starting in 2024 would allow employees up to 12 weeks of leave and retention of their job. The program is funded by employees and employers who each pay 0.45% of a weekly paycheck into a statewide pool starting in 2023. So that for most people would play out to somewhere between $2 to $300 a year. The biggest thing here is that Eighty percent of Colorado workers do not qualify for paid family leave at their job. A lot of larger employers do offer some sort of paid family leave, uh, you know, to their individual employees. If you work for a company like that, you are very lucky. That is not the case for most people. Right. Um. So this is basically a measure that would provide a safety net to people to where they could receive up to twelve weeks, and actually up to sixteen weeks. In some certain like medical situations where they could get up to ninety percent of their salary paid to them, um, it's actually up, up to eleven hundred dollars a week in wages, which would be up to ninety percent to of lower income um, levels. The biggest cons of this that people are saying are that first of all, it's an added tax; it's coming out of your paycheck every single every other week. If you're in the state of Colorado, people are saying that it puts undue burden on companies that may already be providing these services to their employees. However, employers can opt out. That's kind of their answer to that question. And then the other one is being not being able to tell whether or not this is going to be a sustainable program. Like, is the input going to match the output? I am voting for this. Having been someone who, you know, I've Obviously, I've had two kids. I, Brandon, had to take FMLA at one point um, after Miles was born when I had really bad postpartum depression. We have been so lucky to have savings that we could use in those moments, but we are in the very tiny minority of people and especially young families and especially young people who are at the beginning of their careers. And that's only talking about parental leave. We're not, you know, this would also cover disability leave, sickness leave and leave to take care of other people in your family. So for me, I'm voting for it. I think it's worth trying and I'm more than happy to pay $300 a year
0: for for
1: something like this that I might not Mm -hmm. even ever use.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay. So take a quick break. Before we move on to your answers to the questions from last week, let's talk about our sponsor of the podcast, Blue Blocks. You know and love them. You've heard all about them. We talk about them every month. Blue Blocks, the blue light blocking glasses. B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com. The discount code is JOY. So you can support the podcast by supporting Blue Blocks. We are staring at screens all day. We have a lot of stress. Why not do one small thing like those micro changes everybody's talking about to help your health Blue blocks, blue light blocking glasses help with eye strain, help with staring at screens all day. And especially with kids who are doing virtual school, they do have kid sizes and kid glasses. And you can actually, if they have extra frames, you can send them in and get them changed to be blue light blocking glasses. Get a pair for your kiddos, get a pair for yourself, get a pair for your BFF. Hey, send your best friend a pair of blue light blocking glasses and be like, I was thinking about you. I see you on those Zoom calls. I see you stressed out. Here's some fashion.
1: I see you looking at your phone while you're also looking at your laptop like I'm currently <laughs> doing. with my. I, right now, I have laptop number one, laptop number two, phone, and then So phone many screens.
0: Two. So many screens. All the time. Thank you guys in advance. They do a matching program that give glasses to restoring vision when you buy a pair. So you're buying and you're also giving at the same time. And we really need to focus on giving right now. blublo the discount code. Is joy. All right. So listener voice memos. We're going to run right through these. Our last week's question was what?
1: Last week's question was what thing in your family, non like traumatic, like funny thing in your family was normalized that only later in life did you realize was not in fact normal. Guys, we had some really funny ones. I was so excited for this. Like I knew it was going to be hilarious. And it really was so Mm
0: -hmm. hilarious. Mm -hmm. Let's start with Lindsay's. She's left us a voice memo. Hey guys, it's
2: Lindsay. This is a totally weird one
3: but my family normalized something a little strange. We used to eat tuna a lot, so we called it tuna fish, but my mom also used to make us chicken from the can, And, like, it wasn't, you know, weird at all, except we called it chicken fish, like tuna fish and chicken fish. And so I thought that that's what it was, kind of like a Jessica Simpson moment with the chicken of the sea. Like, I was little, so I didn't really think about it too much. But apparently one time I invited my teacher to come home and have lunch when I was really little, and I asked if she would rather have a chicken fish sandwich or a tuna fish sandwich. So took me a while to get over that, but I think after years of therapy, I'm finally
0: okay. Bye! <laughs> after years of therapy, she's worked through That's
1: that. That's like such a Jessica Simpson moment. She so totally is. Chicken, is, is chicken of the Sea.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay, this one is from Megan. She said My family would buy several boxes of Kraft mac and cheese just to use the cheese packet as a topping on spaghetti. it sounds gross i know but it was delicious however i have since matured enough to use parmesan i will say it was really annoying to see a box of mac and cheese in the cabinet and go to make it and the cheese
1: packet was gone yeah seriously (laughs) i mean i get it like cheese is that powdered cheese is delicious but it's it's so good
0: oh my god it's so good okay this one's from david our
1: favorite person
0: another favorite person david
3: Hey, Joy and Claire. It's David from Southern California. The thing that was normalized in my house that I didn't realize was strange until I went to a friend's house was seeing an actual ketchup bottle in a friend's refrigerator. I still remember where it was. It was at David and Daryl Lovano's house. And I remember thinking these people must be insanely rich that they're able to buy an entire bottle of ketchup because we only had ketchup packets that my mother would take from various fast food restaurants. So that was the normal thing in our house. Hope you have a great day. Talk to you soon.
0: (laughs) You're so rich. You have
1: ketchup. (laughs) I love that.
0: You have a ketchup bottle? You have a ketchup a whole bottle?
1: A bottle of ketchup. Oh my god. But also like hot budget tip, just take the ketchup packet. <laughs> hot budget tip.
0: <laughs> Cassandra said she talked to Claire about this one. Uh, one day on Instagram, but she thought it would be fun to share. My freshly divorced dad would make us all eat a bowl of peas before dinner. I like how she says my freshly divorced dad, you know, to make sure we got our vegetables in ordered pizza, eat your peas first. I was young when this started. So when I moved out at 18, I bought a bunch of frozen peas and made everyone bowls. I had no idea this was so odd. And that people hated peas so much. But now my dad is a brand new grandpa to my daughter. And we call him
1: Grampy. So she Grampi. had... Grand get it. She had sent me that in a because I had posted that thing where I was like, every day for lunch, I eat shrimp and peas. And people were like, oh my God, I hate peas. And I was like, whoa, I didn't know that peas were so polarizing. But I also think maybe this will be our question. This isn't the real question for next week. But my dad also, when he and my mom divorced, would like we had to eat like peanut butter toast every morning because he was like, it has protein. Like what are the things that your newly divorced dads like made you eat because they didn't know how to feed you? (laughs) That's its whole own like very specific question.
0: Oh my God, that's so cute. I love that. Okay, this is from Esther.
3: Hey, Joanne Claire. This is Esther from Cincinnati, and I wanted to call and tell you the thing that my family did that I thought was totally normal, but looking back, I'm really confused. So my mom would put frozen peas into any meal she could. It's all about the peas! She would put it in any meal she could. So Spanish rice, tuna noodle casserole, Hamburger Helper. I had no idea that peas was not on the list of things you needed to add to the box of Hamburger Helper because my mom just always did. Anything that she could put peas in, that woman put peas in. I think it has to do with us being quite poor. And she was trying to kind of stretch the budget, bulk up a meal a little bit um, with four kids. But I'm still not exactly sure. And I still feel like something's missing if I eat Spanish rice and it doesn't have peas in it. (laughs) So that is my thing that I thought was completely normal. (laughs) So cute.
1: That's amazing. I mean, peas are delicious, you guys. I think this sounds... I think this sounds fantastic. I that's should be adding more so things to things.
0: Yeah, that's really, really great.
1: Okay, here's one that I want to read from Deborah. Okay, great. Hello, Joy and Claire. I'm Deborah from Tennessee. I'm writing in about the question proposed in last week's episode. So, in my house, we do things a bit, di- a bit different when I was growing up. My family is par- fairly tall. I'm six feet and almost never needed a step stool to get anything off the top shelf, either from at home or the store. It comes in handy. One night, I had a friend over for a sleepover when I was in high school. Morning came, and the guest asked, asked if she could have some cereal for breakfast. I told her she could, and then she proceeded to ask me to help her get the box down from the cupboard where they were stored. I literally asked her why couldn't she get it down herself. Not in a mean way, I was curious because everyone in my house was able to do it. Before she could answer, I realized she couldn't reach because she was six inches shorter than me. (laughs) Needless to say, I helped her get it down. I thought, why not store cereal above the cupboard? It keeps the cereal from going stale slower than if it sat on top of the fridge. P.S. Cereal never went stale in my house. (laughs) I think that's a, like that one is like, yeah, if you just grow up around super tall people, like Brandon is six feet tall and I'm five three and Brandon will put stuff on top of the fridge. He doesn't do it anymore. Yeah. But he would be like we he'd go to the store and then a couple of days later I'd like go to grab something and I'd come home with a bunch of bananas and he'd be like, I just bought bananas. I'm like, What like, do you where? mean? Where? And he's like, They're on top of the fridge. I'm like, You could put anything up there. I have no idea what's on top of the fridge. <laughs>
0: it's oh, so good. Okay, this one is from Sarah, and her subject line was, UK listener with a British accent. You know us so gonna, well, Sarah. You know we're going to open that. You know we're going to open that.
1: Hi, and Claire. This is Sarah from England. Um, just on my morning walk around the neighborhood, listening to your podcast. I'm a big fan, and have listened for a very long time. Um, but I was just listening to the one where you said about do people in the UK find it strange that you comment on their accents? Um, I actually think it's a compliment Uh, and I always think it's really nice when you say it. I actually think it the other way around. I really like listening to you guys chatting and hearing the different phrases that you use and the different words that you use. Um, So yeah, I think it works both ways and um, yeah, I thought I would just record this merely for your listening pleasure. So I hope it was just as enjoyable as all the previous lovely UK people. Thanks for all that you're doing on the podcast. Really enjoy listening. Thank you. Bye. Aww.
0: Oh, my
1: gosh, she's just so on her cute. walk.
0: She's recording a memo. Ugh. yeah, so you guys, cute. you guys with your British accents or Australia, really any accent, I'll take it. I'll take an accent
1: any day. Um, Sierra wrote us to say that her dad used to work for the movie theaters and worked for a large movie theater chain, so she got into movies for free, and she didn't understand until much later in life why People thought it was a big deal to like get up and leave in the middle of a movie that you weren't enjoying. And then she realized, oh, it's because you paid like 15 bucks to be
0: here. They'd be like, let's get up and go. And she's like, okay. And everyone was like, no, we're staying. We're staying. Okay. Um,
1: Liz said, my dad always makes Chinese egg rolls for Christmas Eve from scratch. They are delicious, but we are not Chinese. And we have a big Mexican feast on Easter. I had no idea that other American families traditionally eat ham and fixins. (laughs)
2: Okay,
0: let's do one more.
1: This is from... Amanda.
2: Hi, Joy and Claire. This is Amanda, and I'm from New Jersey. And I wanted to answer the question about something you thought was normal when you were a kid and you realized was actually not normal when you were a little bit older. So when I was a kid, um, my dad was a garbage man, and he worked at night. So he went to work after we went to bed, and he came home from work after we were already at school. So we never saw him in the morning. And I must have been in, like, fourth or fifth grade, and one of my classmates was like, Oh, yeah, my dad made me, I don't know, pancakes for breakfast this morning. And I remember looking at this kid like he had four heads and being like, what do you mean? Dads aren't home in the morning. Dads work at night. Like, you weirdo. And I just remember thinking this kid was so weird. When in actuality, I was the weird one because I thought everybody's dad worked at night, not just mine. So I was so happy I could answer the question this week. I love you guys. And um, thanks so much. Bye.
0: Thank you, Amanda. That's great. Amanda, you're not alone. My dad worked for the airlines when I was growing up. And he always had to change shifts. And so for so much of my childhood, my dad worked the graveyard shift. And I just remember we would have to be so quiet during the day when my dad was home sleeping, getting his sleep. And we'd be like running around the house. And my mom would be like, be
1: quiet. Your dad's sleeping.
0: So you're not alone. Okay,
1: What's our question for next week, Claire? Okay, guys. Actually, next week, we're going to have a guest. That's right. A great guest. So there's no question for next week. But at the end of our interview of next week's question or of next week's interview, we do have a question for you. So hang tight, take a break this week and get so excited for our interview next week with Casper Turkyle, who if you want to prepare for the interview, you should go download his book called The Power of Ritual. Yep. It's so great. You guys are going to love it. And you guys are really going to love Casper.
0: And if you don't go get his book now, I'm pretty sure you're going to get it after the interview because it was such a powerful talk. And he also has like this companion planner that goes along with it that you can buy to plan rituals and do like a daily practice. It's great. We can't wait for you to hear that episode. So thank you guys in advance.
1: And yes, this is the same person as Casper from Harry Potter and the sacred text. Yes, which we only talk about for like two seconds of the interview. But yeah. so take a break. No question next week. So thank you guys for hanging in with us while we got political.
2: Mm-hmm. And <laughs> if you're forget, still listening, <laughs> if you're still
1: listening. And don't forget to support Blue Blocks, b l u b l o x dot com. Discount code is Joy. Thank you for supporting the sponsors who support our podcast and let us bring you this is Joy and Claire every single week. And if you want even more Joy and Claire, you're Never in luck. Enough. You're, in, you're luck in luck because you lucky may day. have heard. We have a new podcast called On Your Marks, Get Set, Bake, where we are following along with the 2020 season of The Great British Baking Show. I am baking the technical bakes. We're trying to get Joy to recreate Peru's outfits. It's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. I have a lot to work with. You really do. Go check out that podcast because we are having so much fun with it. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye.
3: Shake it up, stop when the
1: clock, hits 13 You've been working, but you're flirting With the weekend,
3: you can freak out One in a million You're a gem. shine when the light grows dim Sing one, two, three, four Cuts, cuts, cuts No one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it
2: Look go we do it like we do it We got the rise up so.